0: As we continue in worship this morning, I'm going to encourage you to find our scripture reading, which is Mark 1, verses 1 through 15, and I'll ask that you find it. It doesn't matter if it's in a physical Bible, if you're using the YouVersion app, it's all queued up under events. If you find our church, however you're reading it, I'd encourage you to find it so you can follow along today. Uh, Mark 1, 1 through 15. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one who is more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at that passage, uh, Jesus' call is simple, repent and believe. When I was a college student living in Chicago, I used to make make it a point to get down to the museums in Chicago that offered a free day as much as I could. Uh, This would have been about 20 years ago. I would go down to the Field Museum and go there on the free day. The Art Institute, uh, Shedd Aquarium even, had a free day back then. But when you went down to the Art Institute particularly, there seemed to be always the same street preacher standing just off to the side of the Art Institute every single time. And he had one message that he delivered. He would look, as with his megaphone, look as people walked by, and he would say, you've got to put down that cigar if you want to get to heaven. You've got to stop drinking if you want to get to heaven. You've got to stop sleeping around if you want to get to heaven. And he'd just zero in on people and assume what they were doing. And, and tell them essentially to repent, is what he's doing. He's got half the message of Jesus going on, but not quite the full thing. Jesus says, repent and believe. I don't know if you've had these moments. I sure hope you have. I've had these moments in life, in worship, and in other places, where I've had moments where God seems to peek in and call me to that very thing, to call me to turn from whatever it is and take a new direction a better direction than I was taking. Either I was wrong or I was misguided or something was just not quite what God wanted and God calls me a different way and they're remarkable and rich moments. Repent, turn, and believe. Those are decisive moments where we need to make a decisive change. That's what Jesus is saying right here. And that's our text. Repent and believe, Jesus says. And so as you consider that, here's the key question that sits behind that. What do you need to turn from in order that you can turn to God's best? That's the question of repent and believe. Salvation, God's best. What do you need to turn from in order that you can turn to God's salvation? Now, I want to look, this is why I encourage you to keep your Bible open, particularly this Sunday. Um, I want to just... Uh, indulge the Bible nerd in me a little bit and just walk through the first 13 verses of this quickly, in outline, not in, not in detail, in outline because verses 14 and 15 really is our key verse but I want us to see what's happening here so we're aware when Jesus comes, why this matters but as you consider that, as we kind of nerd out a little bit on this just briefly, consider this question and answer it in the comments if you would um, what, what keeps you coming back to the Bible? What, what thing about God's word keeps you returning? Whether it's a detail, whether it's a, a truth, what is it that keeps you, that makes you love it want to come back? And, and I, I hope that you love God's word because it really is God's love letter to us so that we would know him. Now, as you're answering that, a lot happens in these opening verses. Uh, in verses 1 and 2 we're introduced to who this book is about the Messiah, this one that was anticipated and expected maybe just not at this time in people's minds this anointed king, at least that was their understanding that was in the line of King David finally he would come one day you see that in verse 1 right there, the Messiah the one who would come and do God's work and God's will and, and bring this great rescue plan that God has in some way, shape, or form And it's the Messiah who comes, but then it introduces us to John the Baptist right away, too, who's the one pointing to the Messiah. So Mark already is telling us, listen up. As I tell you this, I'm telling you about the most important thing we've been waiting for, and it's going to be life-altering. And then a guy comes along, I'm going to tell you about him, who points to that exact same thing to say, you better listen up. So twice we're told, basically, in the first two verses, listen up, listen up. That's what John came to do. That's what this book is about. And as you see John, the Baptist's work, unfolding this baptism of repentance, uh, you see that he points to Jesus in everything he does. He's pointing to people to prepare for this Messiah that's about to come on the scene and be ready. Which, frankly, just as an aside, is kind of an offensive message to a lot of people, as if they're unprepared, as if they're unclean. But we're God's chosen, how can we be unclean? John says, prepare. You're not prepared. Prepare. You don't know what's coming so prepare but then jesus comes on the scene and he's baptized all this is in short form in the book of john jesus is baptized i want to point out something important about this that both john and jesus exemplify such a high degree of humility in just these few verses everything john the baptist does points towards god's work not towards john he's given up a lot He's given up a lot in his diet, a lot in his clothing, a lot in his social status, just to point to God's work and God's will. And when Jesus comes, we're instructed by the New Testament that he, he essentially emptied himself of really those divine powers. He's still God in the human body, but in some way he kind of removes the, some of those abilities in some way, some mysterious way, be, to become fully human, even though he's fully God so that he has solidarity among other things with us and can be like one of us exactly like one of us in in every way and yet what he does points to the will of the father as well and as i studied this this week it just really struck me to ask the question do i have that kind of humility in me to live out god's will without desiring the credit John lives it out without desiring the credit. Jesus lives it out, really, without desiring the credit. He's living it out for you and me as well, for our benefit, not his own, first and foremost. Am I the kind of person who can serve God without desiring to get credit for that service, even from somebody I know? Am I the kind of person who can do my devotions in the morning without Instagramming it? That kind of thing. Do I have that kind of humility and that that just so we're clear that doesn't mean we don't have a public faith we have a very public faith and it should be public it's not private it's public what we believe should be known and should be revealed but it always points to the savior not to me it always brings glory to god not to self and john does that and jesus when he's baptized does that and then if you keep going on, verses 9 through 11, you see that when he comes and he's baptized, there's really this moment, and, and really it appears to be more for Jesus than for the people around, in this instance, where Jesus, his baptism, affirms that he's on this mission from God. And you have Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, really, in the same moment, affirming and encouraging the ministry that Jesus has, and that Jesus is about to embark on. And I, I also saw, as we look at this, I see an example for the church as well. If we're supposed to be the people who follow Jesus, if Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are mutually encouraging one another to fulfill the mission, we should be even more encouraged to do the same. To encourage one another as we do the mission. And affirm when we're on the right path. And then finally, uh, in this section, verses 1-13 through 13 really are the introduction. Verses 14 and 15 start something new, but I want to keep them together. Verses 12 and 13 are one of these interesting moments then where Jesus goes out and prepares. He goes out into the wilderness, and it gives us the shortest hand version possible of this whole event, where he goes out and he's tempted, but already you're seeing the one who has come, uh, one who was expected has come, you need to be prepared, he came, and he did the work he needed to do, he showed humility so he could do the work for our benefit To save us, this Messiah, John points and says, prepare for this moment. Prepare for this one. Listen up carefully. And then Jesus goes out and he gets baptized, which shows that he's fully human, even though he doesn't need to be baptized. He never sinned. He didn't do anything that needed repentance, yet he does it to be like one of us. And Jesus goes in the wilderness and he's tempted in every way as well. This starts the temptation in every way, and yet he doesn't give in. And he prepares so that he can deliver what functions as his first public address in verses 14 and 15. Repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. That's his message. And when we see in verse 15, it says at the very beginning, the time has come. The word there is a Greek word, kairos. And I want to focus on that for a moment and make a little distinction. The time has come. Something is important here. So listen up, Jesus says. This is a decision making time. Now, as you can see on the screen, there are two words. The New Testament was written in Greek. There are two words in Greek that typically get used for time, at least in the New Testament, the primary words that are there chronos and kairos. Uh, chronos, much more like chronological years on a timeline Kairos more like appointed time to give an example of maybe the difference between these two a professor I had back in college uh, used to lead camping trips um, and backpacking trips before he was a professor in the mountains of California and he said the first thing he would tell people is as they're about to embark on the trail is just leave your watch in the car you don't need it on this trip just leave it you, you don't need to know that's chronological time is just worrying about the individual time right now it's 11 o'clock okay that's the chronological time he said you really just need to know when the sun's going to rise and when it's going to set and you can see that that's more like kairos that's more like the time when it happens more generally more broadly the, the moment when it happens he also told them not to take food into your tent and uh when one person had a bear crash through their tent they learned that lesson fast too but chronos versus kairos a point in time versus uh, a definite point. And, and let's start with chronos just to see some examples so we can see the difference a little bit more. Uh, chronos has much more to do with uh, the, the duration or definite point in time. So two New Testament examples. One is Matthew 2, 7, since we're in Advent. Uh, it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time. Chronos. The star had appeared. Luke 1, Luke 1, 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. When it was time. Kronos. Now, the idea of having a baby maybe feels more like Kairos, but anybody, to my understanding, that's gone into labor, it feels more like Kronos. It's a decisive point in time. When it was time to have her baby, that's what happened. One other way to understand the difference, and we'll look at some Kairos verses, uh, is the classic joke about what is the right time to go to the dentist. 2.30. It's not about the time, it's about your tooth hurdy, right? I'm glad you're not in the room so you can't groan in my presence. Now, kairos is about an appointed time, or the right time, or the opportune time. Maybe in English we would use the term like it's timely, right? That happened when it was supposed to happen. So in a general sense, you can see it in Matthew 12:1. As a For instance, Jesus goes around and says, at that time, kairos. Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them, right? We understand how this works. We might decide to eat dinner at 6.30, but another way to think of dinner is, when I'm hungry, that's when I'm going to eat dinner. That's a kairos time versus a kronos time. And one more example from the New Testament, uh, Romans 5, 6, this is much more at the right time. It says it exactly in translation. You see at just the right time, Paul says, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Thanks be to God for that, amen? Now, hold on to that concept of kairos, that decision moment, if you will, an appointed time. Let's go to repentance briefly so we can put the two things together, because that's what Jesus says. He says, the time is is near, and the kingdom of God is, is near, but he says, repent and believe. Repent. What is that? There are three words in the New Testament and and an Old Testament word that comes into play, too. I'm not going to go into detail with those. If any of you were fans of the the First Covenant podcast that I did this uh, summer and into the fall, it's coming back in January, and we're going to cover repentance as the beginning. So hold your breath for that. But in short, when the New Testament is talking about repentance, there are three different sort of levels it's talking about it in. And the first level is simply... That you know something's wrong and that's it so repentance is is the acknowledgement that something is wrong but you're not necessarily doing anything to change it It, the new testament does use repentance a word for repentance in that sense sort of the second and third level of repentance move us further and they say they acknowledge that something's wrong and then they begin to acknowledge that there needs to be a turn from something and a turn towards what's good from what's bad towards what's good And ultimately, uh, the final sort of stage of repentance, to put it in the words of Os Guinness, is that it's coming home. Ultimately, repentance is to turn from what's wrong and what's sinful and what's the opposite of what God wants, to turn to what God wants, to be transformed into his image again and to come home to God. That's repentance. That's what Jesus is calling us to, to come home to your creator, to be made whole again. Now if we put those two things together, when Jesus says back in 1 verse 115 or chapter 1 verse 15, it says the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. You have kairos, the time has come, and to repent, to turn from and turn towards and come back home to God means transformation. It means salvation to be rescued from all that is the opposite of God towards all that is good and is godly. To be plucked from the curse of sin. That's the idea. But I want to talk about when that moment comes. You see, that's a kairos moment. It's a timely moment when Jesus actually says this to us. But something's wrong that needs to be made right. And a kairos moment can happen at any point in our life. And in fact, they probably happen a lot in our lives where we realize something is wrong that needs to be fixed. And when that happens, here's a a little tool, and we'll see it more than once in this sermon series. This is called the Learning Circle. It's very simple. It's from 3DM Ministries. Um, uh, Mike Breen is the, the head of that ministry. It's an evangelistic ministry that I like a lot. And really, we're looking at the part in the yellow square, that yellow X is the Kairos moment. We think of salvation... Sometimes it's that line on the top that is just a straight line and we just get on that road and we're good to go. But there are lots of times when God breaks in and says, no, something deeper needs to change. No, something deeper needs to change. That's the, the work of transformation through the Holy Spirit that only comes by the work of Jesus Christ initially. And we hit those kairos moments and we have to repent. And that's the side we're looking at right now, that we, we observe and reflect at that point what's wrong so that we can turn. And I'm looking simply at the observation and reflection part today that that that's what Jesus is calling out of us. So a couple things to know about a Kairos moment is they can happen at any point in our life. They can be big or small events. It can be a job change, or It can be frankly just waking up in the morning and when you're brushing your teeth, you realize something needs to change. You kind of reflect on life. It can be little things that occur. It can be big things that occur. And when those kairos moments come, we're confronted with a couple options. We can say, like that first sense of repentance, nothing needs to change, even though I know something needs to change, but I don't want to go down that road, so I'm just going to keep going on. And we keep doing the opposite of what God wants, or not quite what God wants, or not quite in the will of God, or something like that. Or we can dig in and say, okay, I need to to stop now, because that's what a kairos moment does. Either way, it stops us in our tracks, and it says, something's wrong that needs to be made right, and then we begin to observe and reflect. Observe what's wrong, judge that thing that's wrong, and say, now what do I do with this information? Now what do I, how do I get rid of that, and how do I turn? And if we dig a little deeper, and we just ask the simple question, why would we repent? I think it helps us understand what to do in those moments. I'll give you an example. Um, when Stephanie, my wife, and I, We were uh, living in Colorado. So before we lived here, we were considering uh, getting into foster care. um, And so we went to a three hour kind of just get to know what you might be getting into foster care session. Um, There's a story and it's it's unfortunately not unique in some ways um, that just stuck with me as they were telling what, you know, how to why to lock up your medicine cabinet is what they were illustrating that you have to do that by state law. But basically, uh, this family of four kids uh, had been removed from their home, single mom, um, and it wasn't going well, a lot of neglect that had gone on in the home, all younger elementary school-aged kids. And when they got to their new foster home, um, Friday night, the first Friday night came and the foster parents were trying to figure out what this noise was in the bathroom. They walked up and they found the oldest kid was rummaging around through the medicine cabinet trying to find cough medicine because every Friday night, every Saturday night, basically every weekend night, uh, it was her responsibility to give cough medicine to all the kids as an early bedtime, so they'd fall asleep so mom could go out and party all night. And foster parents then could say to her, honey, we don't need to do that anymore. We can leave that behind. That's not, that wasn't right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And they had no idea there was another way to live. So when we ask the question of why repent, sometimes it's because there's a du- another way to live. It's a better way to live. And sometimes we don't even have a clue of that until we've stopped and observed and reflected in those kairos moments when God breaks through. Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. A completely new reality is about to break through, so you better stop and reflect and repent and turn. And as we look around, even today, everything that we can see around us that's a sign pointing to that which is good is probably related to the kingdom. And everything that's a sign that's pointing to what is bad is not the kingdom. The kingdom of God is good, and that's what we want to be a part of. Because what God does is good. So we hit those Kairos moments. And maybe you've hit one recently where God just breaks through and causes us to stop and we observe. And here's the key observation question. Where Where have I called normal what I know is not right? Or what have I called normal that I know is not right? Either one. You know, I'll use an example even from our own setting, physical setting here. I know you're not in the room, but I can look back at the red doors at the back of the room in the sanctuary right now. And we've had a reputation as a church of being known to have red doors. You can mention that to a lot of people in town. They know we have red doors. And we had these wonderful red doors from 1959 that we were very attached to that just a couple years ago we replaced. They were wonderful doors. They looked nice. They were characteristic. They had tiny little windows that let just a tiny little amount of light in an otherwise dark entryway. But they weren't secure anymore after about 60 years good doors that they were, but there was a real attachment we had to them. But when we finally switched and put in these different red doors that had a lot more window space and let all this light through, do you know the comment I keep hearing as we reflect on that is, look at all of this light we were missing for all these years. That's what this question is getting at. That's what repentance is getting at. Look at all this light we weren't allowing to get through in our own lives because there's a better way that god is calling us to so we observe so that we we don't let what's not normal be considered right when it's wrong and then we reflect if i change what do i gain what does jesus actually do to me if i turn to him and enter into his kingdom and kingdom life and do that more and more because this can happen Throughout our lives, and even as we follow Jesus, we're called into these Kairos moments to repent and believe and dig in deeper to the transformation of the Holy Spirit through us. This is only initiated by by coming through Jesus Christ first and foremost and then allowing God's Holy Spirit to work in us. This isn't just making a new, better you. This is Jesus working in and through us. Repent and believe. The kingdom of God is near. What do you need to turn from? today in order that you can turn to God's best.